you spooky bitches. Thanks for tuning in to Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be bringing you the most heinous, shocking, morbid crimes with, of course, a side of paranormal on occasion to cure you of all your morbid and paranormal curiosities. This podcast is for those who want to know everything they can about a case, including all of the graphic details. This podcast is not for the squeamish. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at morbid period, curiosity, period, TC podcast, where you will find photos related to all of our cases that we cover. Warning, some of those may contain crime scene photos, but of course our victims will not be revealed in those photos. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for episode two. Today we're going to talk about the boy in the box. Um, As in the title, it is about a child. Unfortunately, he's never been identified. Um, They never found his killer. So this is definitely a very big cold case that was famous back in the day in Philadelphia. So stick around. Let's find out what we know about this case, about what we know about the little boy, and maybe it may jog somebody's memory that lived back then. Never know. Somebody's still alive. I mean, it did happen in 57. People lived to be 100 plus. So if you're listening and you know anything about it or thought it wasn't important, it's your chance. So we're going to go on back to February 25th, 1957, when a boy in a cardboard box was found. That box once housed a JCPenney bassinet. The child was naked and had been beaten prior to his death with fresh cuts to his face. The young man who found him did not report his findings to the police due to the fear of his animal traps being confiscated. On a side note, you're a dick. Report anything you find like that, especially a child. Continuing on, a college student then also spotted the body. He was reported to have been trying to save a rabbit that went off into the woods, and he knew there was traps there. He did call the police, but it wasn't until the next day after he confided in a priest. So the very next day, on the 26th, The police report uh, came in. They opened an investigation. They removed the boy's body from the woods. This was in Fox Chase, Philadelphia. Elmer Palmer was reported to be the first officer on the scene. Um, He stated, quote, it looked like a doll. Then I saw it wasn't a doll, end quote. He believed to be, he was believed to be between three and six years old. Um, But due to severe malnourishment, numerous wounds, and it was cold outside, which slows decomp, 
Um, it was kind of impossible for them to tell how long he had been deceased for. But an autopsy showed that, um, excuse me, the autopsy had showed that the child had been beaten to death, also had been ill, severely malnourished. He still had his baby teeth. They were intact. And he had apparently never been to a dentist. His body had several small scars that looked like surgical incisions. When they went to survey the local doctors and hospitals, unfortunately, it turned up nothing. Photographs of the boy's face were printed in the newspapers. Um, They did hang these in the storefronts. Plus, they mailed these out with utility bills in Philadelphia and surrounding areas. And it was reported by the Philadelphia Inquirer that they printed around 400,000 flyers to also go with that as well. Um, They also checked out some orphanages and some other child care institutions, but still nothing was found. Despite his appearance, though, the boy's nails had been trimmed. His hair had been cut. Reported badly, though. Um, Someone just was in a hurry and just cut, chopped his hair off, they said. Um, So they did find long strands of hair with his body. He had also appeared to have been immersed in some water shortly before his death as his feet and hands were still pruned or wrinkly. Um, According to the autopsy as well, his stomach had baked beans in it. Important for later because there's a theory that has that. So we're going to get to that though. They also um, had huge media attention in Philadelphia and the surrounding areas for this case um, after they started printing out flyers and everything. But some evidence that were found in the surrounding area, um, they did have about 270-plus police recruits comb in the area for this as well. Um, But they found a tan scarf a yellow flannel shirt, black shoes, but they did not fit the child, a white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner, as well as a blue corduroy hat with a leather strap. That had been found um, to be, had, oh, word vomit. Lord have mercy. The leather hat or the leather strap hat or whatever was found to have been made by a shop in South Philadelphia. So that one almost led to a huge lead, but they questioned the owner, and unfortunately, it led to nothing, but she did say that she recognized the strap because the buyer requested her to sew it on, and that it was a man in his 20s in the store alone. That was about it. Of course, this man never found uh, the police traced the bassinet box to AJC Penny. Um, it was one of a dozen that had been sold from December 3rd and 56 to February 16th and 57. They did track down all but one buyer, which is so frustrating. Unfortunately, it was known as quite a feat considering. The store's cash-only policy, but all the other ones, no link to the boy. I could not imagine, like, getting so close. That could have been the one that was like, boom, a link. And then they had absolutely nothing because 
a cash-only policy. I'd be so pissed if I was the investigators. I'm sure they were. Um, later on, though, the police did fingerprint the little boy um, in hopes someone would be able to identify him. But, of course, no hits, no leads. Detectives and a lot of, I've noticed a lot of places actually do this, which now we don't really practice this nowadays, but um, the lifelike photos of the deceased, um, it's even a cultural thing sometimes, but they did have him dressed up in a sitting position, trying to appear more lifelike, hoping that it would jog somebody's memory, but nothing unfortunately came of that as well. So, jumping to 1998, as the years went by, of course, um, facial reconstructions had been made of him. One was even made of a potential father, which I could not find. Um, but no one ever came forward to claim the boy or claim they knew a lookalike of the father. So, after that, of course, forensics started to advance. Um, they did exhume him in 98 as well. They got DNA from one of his teeth, uh, which, I, if I'm not mistaken, I read it was like enamel or something, which I didn't know was a thing you can get DNA from. Call me stupid. I don't care. But they moved him to Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook afterwards, where a plot was donated for him. Um, jump forward to 2008, there was a renowned forensic artist who came up with a new theory. He believed that the boy was, in fact, raised as a girl. So, Frank Bender, whose work in facial reconstruction had helped identify mass murderer John List, um, considering that the hair was, like, cut in a hurry and the child's eyebrows supposedly were plucked, the signs were that the, the boy was made to be a female or being concealed as a female. So he stated, quote, I'm almost certain that they've been missing the boat because they've been showing a boy. And he is a boy, but the boy, I believe, was dressed as a girl, end quote. Bender later created a sketch of the boy as a girl instead, hoping to jog some memories. But unfortunately, nothing came of that as well. Skip to March 21st, 2016, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children released a forensic facial reconstruction as well and added him into their database. Um, also, in the same year, two writers contacted investigators to request that the boy's DNA be compared to a child in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the family believed that the boy could be a relative of theirs, um, but in 2017 in December, there was no connection between the two samples. And I correct myself. It wasn't another boy. It was just a, a family, like a, another person in Memphis, Tennessee. So moving on from the DNA comparison that fell through, there has been multiple theories about this child, who this child was, what happened to this child. Um, just a few Um they said that he may have been a refugee who came to America after Hungarian Revolution in 56. He may have been a son of a wandering carnival worker. Or um, he was a son of an inherent roofer uh, who had worked in the Philadelphia area. 
Now, they did check 11,000-plus Hungarian passports. The carnival workers were cleared, and the roofer was found. His son was found. They were, they were perfectly fine, safe and sound. Um, there was two other ones. The first one's kind of like paranormal, I would say, because it's about a psychic. The second one is the one that makes me so angry that nobody followed through with. Makes me so pissed because I believe the second one that I'm going to mention here in a few minutes is exactly what happened to this kid. And nobody believed her because why? Because she had mental illness. But she wouldn't have known any of this. She wouldn't have known any of the details she knew or anything if it wasn't true. According to police, but yet they still didn't follow through with it. Aggravates me. Anyway, the first big one, um, they people were saying that there was a foster home. Now, the foster home was located half a mile from the dumping site of the body. In 1960, Remington Bristow, or Bristow, an employee from the medical examiner's office, pursued the case until he died in 1993. He like had contacted a psychic from New Jersey who told him to look for a house that matched the foster home description. When the psychic was brought to the Philadelphia Discovery site, she led him directly to the foster home. They were at an estate sale at a foster home. He discovered a bassinet similar to the one sold at JCPenney, the one that the boy was found in, the box for. He also discovered blankets hanging on a clothesline that also were similar to the boy's um, blanket that he was wrapped in when he was found. He believed that the boy belonged to the stepdaughter of the man who ran the foster home because they did not want the stepdaughter to be exposed as an unwed mother. He theorized that the boy's death may have been an accident, wasn't sure. Despite the findings, the police pretty much were like, no, there's no links, sorry, nothing. So they investigated it. Um, they also had a Philadelphia Police Lieutenant Tom Augustine, who was in charge of the investigation, and several members of a retired group of policemen and profilers interview the foster father and stepdaughter, leading absolutely nowhere. So that lead was eventually closed. Moving on from the foster home, this one is the one that makes me angry because I feel in my gut that this is what really happened. Um, just because she knew details that no one else would have known about this child that was found besides the police. So after another theory in February of 2002, this woman was only identified as Martha. Police considered her story to be possible, but they had trouble with her testimony because she was mentally ill and had a history of mental illness, which is bullshit, bullshit, but moving on. She claimed that her abusive mother had purchased this boy, whose name was Jonathan, from his parents in the summer of 54. He then was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse for two and a half years. And at dinner one night, he puked up his meal of 
guess what it was? Baked beans. And was given a severe beating. Also, corroborating the autopsy report, baked beans, severe beating. May I continue with that? That aggravates me. Even then, I would have been like, yep, yep, that's true. Let's go. Let's go wrestle kind of thing. But I guess you can't do that. But I would have. Dang it. I would have. But he was given a severe beating. His head was slammed against the floor until he was unconscious or semi-unconscious. He was then given a bath during which he died. Goes back to the freaking autopsy reports of him being immersed in water and pruny as he was found. But they didn't freaking go with the details. Anyway, the details matched information known only by the police, especially the coroner, because the baked beans were found in his stomach and his extremities, as far as his feet and his hands, were water wrinkled. Her mother then cut the boy's long hair, as also found, they found long strands of hair on his body. And that also accounts for the unprofessional haircut that they described as horrible or badly cut in an effort to conceal this boy's identity. Her mother forced her to assist in the dumping of his body in the Fox Chase area. And Martha said that they were getting the boy's body out of the trunk of the car and a male motorist stopped on the side of the road, asked if they needed help, and she was ordered to go stand in front of the license plate to hide the license plate from him seeing it. And the mother convinced the dude that there was no problem. We got it. We got this. Don't worry about it. No problem. Have a good day. He eventually left. He eventually drove off and left. Also, I'm going to stop for a second. Sorry if you hear my cats in the background. I have locked myself in the uh, extra bedroom, and all I can hear is meowing and scratching under the door because they want in so bad. But yet, they don't want any attention. So, excuse the cats in the background. But uh, he eventually drove off. So, the story corroborated the confidential testimony also given by a male witness in 57 who said that the body had been placed in a box previously discarded at the scene. Despite all of this evidence in the confession, and despite her confessing this to them and giving them details of only what the police knew, they were unable to verify her story. (sighs) Unable to verify her story. That's insane to me. Also, the the neighbors... um, dismissed her claims because they said it was ridiculous because they stated they had access to the time that this supposedly happened to the house and they didn't see a boy living with them or a boy there or whatever. So they pretty much put her off as crazy as well. So unfortunately, this was never proven true. I feel that she confessed and tried to tell the story Nobody wanted to listen to her because of her mental health. And unfortunately, that's the end for Martha in this story. Um, Nothing ever came of it, unfortunately. So moving on from Martha. Thank you, Martha. I still believe her story. What do you guys think? Feel free to um, message me on Instagram, email me. 
The email is morbidcuriositytcpodcast, like true crime, tcpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to tell me what you guys think um, about these theories and who we believe, who we don't believe, what we think, all kinds of stuff. Um, On to his burial. He was originally in Pottersfield, um, but when they done the DNA extracting in 98, they moved him to Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, where they donated a large plot. They donated the coffin, the headstone, and funeral service. This funeral service had a significant attendance, whether it be locals, um, people from far away in the areas, media, all kinds of stuff. So he had a huge funeral service, which I think is amazing, especially since he's not known. Um, His grave also, which I think is amazing, is surrounded by flowers, um, stuffed toys, placed by locals, visitors, or whoever has heard his story. His headstone reads America's Unknown Child with a smaller inscription under that says Heavenly Father, Bless This Unknown Boy. And you guys, this is amazing. To this day, I mean, it could have obviously been more now, but he's had over 3,000 flower donations to his gravesite. How amazing is that for somebody that we don't even know we still went and you know, gave this boy at least some kind of family. I think that's amazing. So that is amazing. So just updates, guys, because there is one update that I found um, for this case, and it was April 30th, 2021 at 8.22 a.m., reported by 3CBS Philly. Um, They said that uh, homicide detectives two years ago got another order to exhume his remains. They also retrieved DNA. They sent it to a lab in Europe and are hoping that this gives them their biggest break yet. Um, You guys, I don't know if you know this or not, it's been out for a little bit anyway or a little while. They have a new type of DNA testing. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the um, genealogy testing. It's where they like take your DNA, and they can find your relatives or relatives of your relatives, all that kind of stuff, which is insane of what forensics can do nowadays compared to what it was back then. But they're hoping maybe with that they'll find something. Um, They did say this is the closest um, they've gotten to being able to find out the boy's name, hopefully, and then they hope it leads them to family members of the little boy and give them a new direction. Uh, one of the guys named Smith, I'm assuming that's a last name, he stated, might there still be witnesses around? There could be. Absolutely. Might there still be the perpetrator around that's still alive? Possibly. Could be. Um, other detectives, they feel like they're on the doorstep of what can be hoped to be the biggest break. Um, most of the detectives, this has kept them up since back then, even newer detectives, um, it's just one of those cold cases that have bothered most police officers in the area, um, from what I could find in research. And then Smith also did say that it's always on his mind and that they owe it to the child and they owe it to their family members. Some extra details about the boy in the box. Um, they believe birthday may have been 1949 to the year 1954, 
Of course, the exact date is unknown. Um, in Wikipedia, it does say that he has been unidentified for 65 years and 18 days, although that's probably more now. Um, he was between three and seven years old. He was three feet, six inches tall. His new resting place is Ivy Hill Cemetery. Um, and his case has been reopened multiple times over the years, although his identity still remains a mystery. Um, you can find out more about this case if you want to research it on your own. And you can do so. Uh, just go to National Center for Missing and Exploited Children website. They have information on there as well if you're interested in researching for yourself. Um, feel free to email me your theories. Tell me what you guys think about the theories I told you about. I'm still going and cheering for Martha. I still feel like that one's the, the cherry on top, and they, they should have followed through with that one, whether she has mental illness or not. Um, hope you guys enjoyed. That is all for today, my spooky bitches. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, be kind, stay spooky, and don't fucking murder anybody.